Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, Sharon, good afternoon. How was the business meeting? Oh, you know I love the business meeting. <laughs> How many people can say that? <laughs> uh, up at the North Carolina-South Carolina joint meeting in Asheville still. And uh, actually, we got a couple more podcasts we're going to do today. Absolutely. You well, still hanging in here with me? Do you yeah. have enough coffee? Or oh, you good? yes, yes. Uh, well, the good news about the business meeting is our pack event tonight is absolutely sold out. That is wonderful news. Yeah. If we could do that all across the country and at the ANA level, boy, just think of where... Uh, the advocacy could go. Oh, my goodness. We could grease the wheels of those politicians really good, Yes, we, we could. <laughs> Let North Carolina show them how it's done. There you go. There you go. Well, we have a wonderful guest here with us today. Honored to have him with us. And, you know, this is my jam. Right I here, so. know. And I'm um, just going to hang on for the ride for this one because I know um, I'm going to have to take a water hose to YouTube. <laughs> well, this is the stuff I love. But uh, we've got Tracy Young here with us today. Welcome, Tracy. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Yeah, man. And I know you, and, and for being here, you, you're telling me about how to late night and early flights and, you know, getting up early and then, you know, getting caught in the airport. And it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, man. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a, an adventurous day already. <laughs> and you get to and it's spend just getting it with started, us. Right? <laughs> <laughs> On your birthday. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today that, you know, we were trying to figure out, Tracy said, you know, what, what do you guys want me to talk about? And of course, I rattled off a bunch of things that you know, that I like. And so we can take it in a lot of different directions. But basically, you know, we're going to be talking some about the business of anesthesia, maybe where you see as one of the leaders in the industry, this industry going, we'll hit on a little bit of, uh, you know, W2 versus 1099, which seems to be a very hot topic mm-hmm. for, our, for our listeners these days. And we might even get into a couple other things if Sharon doesn't make a shut up. So, um, <laughs> I'm the but, boss. Uh, <laughs> 
So, you know, let's kind of hit on some things about you personally first. Why don't you give us a little bit about your background for our listeners who might not know you and tell us what's going on with you these days. Sure. So my name's Tracy Young. I'm from South Louisiana. I think I've covered up most of my Cajun accent over the years. Uh-huh, that's um, what I was just going to say. Yeah, uh, maybe I, I trained in Southern California for a couple of years, mm-hmm. so maybe I lost it there. Yeah, that's I'm what not it sure. is. Yeah, I've been a CRNA now for right at 20 years, Texas Wesleyan grad, and uh, did my clinical training in, in Southern California. Came back to um, a pretty independent practice right out of school. I was actually, you mentioned 1099 and W2. I went straight into 1099. Wow. Um, okay. That's a, a sign. <laughs> <laughs> it was a full-time practice, but we were we would rotate off and have about 17 weeks off a year. Mm. So as a new grad, I kind of get my feet under me. We we did our, all our own billing for OB anesthesia, and we were paid a 1099 salary to cover the operating rooms for uh, a small group of us. And that's kind of where I got started and my first taste of the billing aspect of anesthesia. And I guess somewhere after about three years after that, started doing some locums and some traveling anesthesia and started meeting different people and was asked to give a proposal for a hospital contract. And I did, and uh, we got it, and that was kind of my, my first actual contract. And the name of my company is YPS Anesthesia. Mm-hmm. YPS stands for Young's Professional Services, which is a horrible business name, but <laughs> it's my last name. And in 2003, when I started, I had no idea that it was going to stick around this long and become the size that it is. And we've done a little bit of a- uh, advocacy for CRNAs as well. I was Louisiana State President for two terms, and on the board for eight or nine years, and I've been involved on the A&A and different committees. Uh, most recently, I'm on the finance committee right now and reimbursement task force as well with the A&A. So. Well, yeah. you say what the business was to become. Tell us what the business has become. Well, it's grown. Um, <laughs> we're in 68 facilities in seven states with about 500 anesthesia providers. You say we. We. I say we because it's you know, I, I founded the company, I'm the CEO and I'm the president, but it's it's we because there's there's so much more than me, right? Mm-hmm. We have yeah. the non clinical team, the clinical team, that's what makes up the organization. Mm-hmm. So it's a we. We're all on the same team, we're all pulling in the same direction. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, about five hundred providers, of which uh, roughly fifty physician anesthesiologists and about four hundred and fifty CRNAs involved in a we're kind of doing a merger that we kind of just completed as well, too, which is doubling us in size. So the combined entity is now over a 1,000 providers. Holy cow. Wow. And uh, we're really excited about it. We're, uh, I think it's going to bring some synergies. We know there's a – we're going to talk probably in detail about some of the uh, supply shortages of CRNAs, but I, I feel this merger we've just completed uh, with a group out of Texas is really going to help make all of us stronger and uh, awesome. better prepared to handle the environment going forward. Yeah. Well, you know, Tracy, you said a mouthful there, and, and I know, you know, anytime being in business, there are successes and there are failures, and you know, we, we tend not to think back to our failures as often as our successes, but you've obviously been successful. Congratulations on this this new venture that you've got going as well. And, you know, it, it's great to see CRNAs that are business-minded, such as you, do, you know, the Larry Hornsby's, Paul Santoros, you know, Juan. I mean, all you, all you guys are, you know, even Barry Cranfield, you know, was an amazing guy as well. And, you know, you've all built these magnificent, businesses. But tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the trials that you've had as well as more of the successes that you've had on the back end. Absolutely. And listen, when, when we get things right, 
a lot of times it's good luck, right? Or, yeah, absolutely. Or maybe we just start thinking that we're good, but it, it's the it's the failures. <laughs> That's when you get in trouble when we start thinking we're good. <laughs> yeah, it's the failures that you really learn from. Yeah, um, you know, you name it. You know, I've pretty much made the mistake. There was no playbook back then. Right. Um, the resources of other business owners just to text and to or reach out to on social media to talk to. There were no podcasts on anesthesia right. business. So right. It was a trial and error process, and and you learn from your mistakes way better than you mm-hmm. learn from your successes. And you know, I think an early mistake was kind of getting involved in the wrong hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, we probably had three or four hospitals at the time. And um, this hospital was a struggling hospital, and they reached out to us, and I knew better than to probably put in a proposal. However, we did. We got it. I think maybe everyone else took a step back, where we were actually the the last one standing, and the lesson there is the hospital went bankrupt, and it was a subsidy client, and they owed us oh. about $400,000. Oh, geez. my which, goodness. Uh, back, that hurts. That's a lot of money anytime, but back yeah. then when we only had a couple of facilities and maybe yeah. 12 or 15 CRNAs and one And you had paid them. <laughs> they got paid every penny and mm-hmm. every penny on time. So. That was a lesson, right? Uh, yeah. Learned a lot from it. Learned some bankruptcy law as well, too. Uh, <laughs> the bankruptcy judge gave us a settlement of 10 cents on the dollar um, to be paid quarterly over 10 years. We wow. got We got one check quarterly, and that was it. So it was like a 400-something dollar check. So, um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of lessons there. But listen, other stuff from, you know, credentialing, scheduling mistakes, um, you name it, billing, not following up with your RCM vendor, revenue cycle management issues. Um, yeah. yeah. Those are all things you learn through through time. Yeah. And now you, you've built this team around you, obviously. It's not just Tracy who does this. Thank goodness, right? Because you'd never sleep and you probably wouldn't have a family as well. But So you built this wonderful team. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of CRNAs who want to do what you've done in some form or fashion. Maybe not get to a 1,000 providers, but, you know, they... Uh, I'm thinking of several clients we've got who now, you know, they have 10 or they have 15. And, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about it because how do you get from the point that you've been in 20 years and you get from that point where it's just you, maybe doing a little 1099, which we'll hit on in a little bit, to you're hiring your first CRNA to kind of work with you, to you get to 10 and maybe you hire an MD and, you know, how do you build that scale and, and get that all underneath you like that. I don't know if there's a playbook, right? But if you write it, it'd be great, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I actually started writing a book. Uh, I, have oh, the you table, did? I have the table of contents done. Yeah, well, well, the, well, I know what's going to be in there. That's what, that's what you have to start with. I've got my table of contents for my book, too. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of dirt in yours, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dur- during COVID, I was like, you know what? Your name. Uh, I always, <laughs> always get asked all the business questions. I do some mentorship. I said, I, I need to write a book. And I, yeah. I made it through the table of contents and put it away and haven't looked back at it <laughs> in about 12 months. But to answer your question, the, the growth phase is, is something that has to happen organically. You can't really force it, right? You can't mm-hmm. really follow a playbook because what works for one may not work for another. And the timing may right. not work for one mm-hmm. for another. True, very true. So it really has to happen organically. And, and for me, it started happening when I think we were probably 20 to 30 providers and I was pretty much doing everything, scheduling, practicing clinically. And you always have self-doubt whenever you're, yeah, you're doing something. And I wasn't sure what, what I didn't know. So I started working on my MBA, got a healthcare-focused MBA I finished in 2008. 
And I think that gave me a little more confidence. And we picked up a couple more facilities. And I was at a crossroads where I was running out of my own time, energy, and, and abilities. Mm -hmm. So you got to start finding talent to help you build it so that you can build the platform so that you right. have, whenever you go grow to scale, you have a platform that's built, right? Yeah. It's repeatable. You have a system. Scale up you have before you process. need it. Absolutely. Yeah. In our industry, we call it the ceiling of complexity. Uh, Dan Sullivan, who's a, a oh, coach, cool. he says that we all reach this ceiling of complexity and you keep butting your head up against it. And it's not until you can break through that ceiling where you open up to the next level. And that's kind of what I hear you that's describing. That's pretty cool as well, terminology so. for it. Yeah. yeah, and that's new to me. So right. yeah, there you go. Hey. That needs to Look, be a I chapter Tracy in. Something. Hey, a chapter, <laughs> another chapter in your book. So oh. pull that table of contents <laughs> out. So before I let you guys just dive right into all of this stuff, of course, my interest is you alluded to other areas that you're involved in outside of it, just anesthesia. You want to elaborate about that? Yeah, from a business standpoint. I've always been somewhat of an entrepreneur, I guess. Mm -hmm. I remember as a child asking my father, like, you know, so explain to me exactly what do you do for a living? He owned a small business. It was oil field based. And surprisingly, it's very similar to what we do in our anesthesia management really? company. He had a company of, um, they called them servicemen. They're, they're work over and completion specialists. And, but what he would do is he had specialists that Shell, BP, Exxon, would hire to go in and do a certain stage of a well drilling process. So mm -hmm. that was their specialty. So he was like a, kind of like an anesthesia staffing person, mm -hmm. but in the oil field business. And, you know, just ask him like, so how does that work? And, oh, so they pay you X number of dollars per day. And, you know, you pay them X number of dollars per day. And he's like, yeah, but I have to have insurance, right? And we have to have payroll functions and all that. So, I mean, I remember as a very young child, always asking those questions. And, what I've done over the years is people always talk about plan B's, right? And anesthesia, yeah. like if anesthesia yeah. doesn't work out, my plan B or, or other revenue sources outside of anesthesia, I've kind of dabbled in different investments and uh, venture capital things and helping others start business through um, through capital investments and providing some, some guidance. And mm -hmm. um, it's kind of led me in some varying paths, but it's been interesting and it's been fun, uh, yeah. certainly. And, you know, some are swings and misses and some are home runs and some are single. <laughs> oh come yeah. on now you got to give us some <clears throat> some meat there with that <laughs> um a good example would be a technology company there mm -hmm. was uh, some coders at Oshner in new orleans that had kind of stumbled upon an idea of using technology and natural language processors to be able to start processing and evaluating drg and mra management functions for mm -hmm. hospitals so they go in on the on the back end with technology and a natural language processor that's coded up for all the different types of coding and they can do an analysis of probably two hundred thousand lives in an hour wow through wow. technology wow where and it spits out where it was potentially upcoded or where it could potentially be upcoded and it gives the analysis down to the coders Instead of having to shift through 500,000 pages of documents, sure. mm -hmm. it's highlighted for them, immediate Holy review. Cow. And clients for that company, so they needed investment, right, in the technology. Mm -hmm. So we, I say we, um, me and my brother and a, another associate, gave them the capital funding. We became equity partners, mm -hmm. those types of things. And, and they're doing amazing things. They have clients that are Harvard, Oshner Health System, and uh, Cleveland Clinic, some of the biggest hospital systems in the country, they're reviewing 12 months later 
all of their interactions for, mm-hmm. for different wow. potential coding uh, issues. Now, yeah. how did you just happen to stumble upon this? I mean, is it you're just sitting down over drinks and let's talk about DRGs and <laughs> coding or, I mean. This, this life, life happens really sure. strange sometimes. Yes, yeah. it does. So my older brother, who's my COO, he's my chief operations officer, was getting coffee one morning at a Starbucks, ran into two ex-associates or from Oshner, and mm-hmm. they were like, they're like, Brian, <coughs> we're thinking about starting this company. I was like, well, you need to talk to my brother. And just like that, the next day we, we had a meeting and wow. started talking. So, I mean, life, life happens in strange ways. And, um, again, it goes back to organic, right? You can't really force things to right. happen. Right. Um, Timing is everything. I, I, I'll <laughs> tell you what I've found in my business career is the, the more successful you are, the more opportunities that tend to surface for you. And that, that's really oxymoronic to the way it probably should be because you should, you know, really try to help people that right, aren't successful right. be successful. But, you know, the more success, and I, and I see it with clients, I see it with friends that are really successful, opportunities come your way. And, you know, it's almost like the secret in a way, you mm-hmm. know, um, I've read that. it's very similar to that. And you, you, you kind of call things to you in a weird way. And that's, that's what that well, sounds Well, you attract like. what you are. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, that's and, a good way and of that's, putting it. That's yeah. that's really good. So, and it's funny. I, you said you didn't know what your your dad did. I remember, you know, my oldest daughter Lauren, years ago when she was in like first grade, I think, I talking to her teacher after school one day when I picked her up, and she said, "You know, we were asking kids today what their parents did and and so forth." And you know, I, I don't know what you do, but your your daughter told us that you talk on the phone a lot and you take people's money. <laughs> Um, well, that sums like, it up. Uh, well, that's probably all she ever sees me do. And, you know, she knows that I deal with people's money. Uh, but, uh, you know, kind of like Tracy, I mean, you know, I, I knew at a young age I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I used to be the kid in school that would buy candy. I'd go to the, the store and I buy remember candy. This story. And then sell candy at school. I'd double it, you know, and go buy more candy. And, you know, I continued to do that throughout the years. They used to call me the candy man. So. <laughs> But, oh, um, okay. Yeah, the candy man. The candy man yeah, can. Yeah. <laughs> Not like Tim Murray's shirt, candy man. Oh, either, yes. Right? But, yeah, so, um, but yeah, that's really, I mean, Tracy, that's a good story. And, you know, you, you've been really successful. But you know what that proves? What I always say. What's that? CRNAs are the smartest people I know, and you can't oh, fill them up. Absolutely. You just can't fill them up. Absolutely. I mean, it's not just about anesthesia. It's about so many more things. Smartest people I know. Absolutely. And, well, I mean, you can just tell from listening to Tracy. He's smart. He's got his business degree. He's very analytical. He's methodical. I mean, I can tell you the way his mind works just from sitting here talking well, to Well, that's because it works like it yours. It works just like mine. So. <laughs> um, and, and he's able to communicate. You know, yes. that's another thing. Well, there are a lot of smart key. people out there that can't communicate. And mm-hmm. you've got to be able to do that because you're always in sales. You're selling yourself all the time. So, all right. So let's kind of jump from that. And I know this has taken a completely different path here, but, you know, one of the things that I thought would be important and someone that's in the know like you is, you know, how are hospitals and healthcare facilities kind of dealing in this COVID environment and, are you seeing them have to subsidize even more? And does that, does that breed more opportunities for folks like yourself to kind of come in or, you know, you can take that anywhere you want it. So. Yeah, that, that can go in a lot of different directions, but a lot of it is, is regional based and even locally based on, uh, on where surges are happening and when they're happening and how hospitals are handling it. Right. We've had some hospitals that have been minimally effective since the first wave. 
We have others that have already had three waves where they've had to shut down elective surgeries and Mm -hmm. been greatly impacted from that standpoint. And then we have ASCs recently where their volume is spiking, right? Because hospitals are not allowing elective surgery. So our ASC volumes are are really spiking, which is a a great segue into diversity, right? Mm -hmm. You want to have diverse clients Uh. whenever you're in business. And if one starts to struggle, hopefully the other one can pick up some slack. And if they're both doing well, then, you know, everybody's Everybody's happy, happy, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But diversity is good in business as well. When it comes to subsidies, what we're dealing with right now is, uh, and what we're seeing in the marketplace, we have a pipeline of roughly, I think we're up to 16 facilities where we either have active RFPs, requests for proposals already submitted, or we're working on. Our phone's kind of ringing off the hook from facilities that mm-hmm. are having difficulties with their current anesthesia providers. Yep. Sure. Sometimes it's more subsidies being requested. Sometimes it's um, inability to cover the rooms. Sometimes it's service related, but it seems it's the last two months, it's really, really picked up in its intensity and fervor just how how busy we've gotten with with RFPs. And part of the subsidy is related to COVID, right? If you're doing less elective cases, you're generating less revenue. Absolutely. So there's increased subsidies being requested. Another part of it is reimbursements being cut. Mm -hmm. January 1 of 2021, we had another 3% cut in Medicare reimbursement and anesthesia. 3% may not sound like much, but in most facilities, Medicare will make up close to 50% of your volume. Mm-hmm. And most anesthesia groups would be ecstatic with a 7 8 to 10% margin in this environment. So mm-hmm. a 3% cut, you start wow. whittling away pretty quickly. And then if you have a 10 or 15% cut in elective cases, you're in the red big yeah, time. Um, I mean, in a blink of an eye, you're in a red. And you couple that with what we're seeing in the marketplace. There's no surprise. It's no secret to anyone. There's a shortage of CRNAs. Mm -hmm. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. I agree. And that shortage has led to bidding wars for providers. Mm-hmm. And so the salaries have gone up drastically. The latest ANA survey showed a pretty nominal uptick, right? It wasn't a huge uptick, but we're seeing much larger increases in salaries in the real world, right? On boots on the ground. Right. So you see in decreasing reimbursement, increasing provider inputs. Provider inputs make up 80% usually, sometimes right. more of all anesthesia business costs. Mm-hmm. So it's a difficult environment to operate in. So groups such as mine and and other groups out there, they're demanding more subsidies. And Mm -hmm. hospitals, they don't have money trees planted out back, (laughs) but they can just hand more money to anesthesia. So they're going to the marketplace to see if someone could be more efficient. Mm -hmm. Maybe if they can generate more revenue through better third-party commercial payer contracts, or if they can have more efficient staffing models, be open to, to more flexible models, those types of things. And for the ones that are having to shut down operating rooms because they can't get the providers, yep. they want to know, do you have scale? Do you have the ability? <clears throat> do you have the um, recognition in the marketplace that providers want to go to work for you? Because there's some right. national companies out there that they have a really bad reputation. Yeah, but they're, <laughs> right. they're not the employer of choice, if you will. Right. So there's a lot of disruption right now in our, in our business and in our marketplace. And well, that's good for people like yeah. you. Well, we thrive off of disruption. You know, a couple of things that I'd like to dive in there. You must be good to work for. That's why there's 450 people, 500 people working for you, and you're getting ready to double that. And so you've got a finite amount of providers. And what I'm hearing you saying is they may be exiting these places that are not good, toxic work environments. And 
you know, talk about what there's to gain to provide a non-toxic <laughs> work yeah. environment. <clears throat> so, and so I'm sure you're really in tune to that. Absolutely. And a couple of points there before we get to the toxicity, because a, a, a toxic environment is almost always what we go into, right? Absolutely. Whenever, whenever we take over a contract, it's never because things are going swimmingly mm-hmm. and, and everything's running perfectly. But when you talk about being a provider or an employer of choice, if you will, our motto is our CRNAs and anesthesiologists don't work for us. We work for them. We're there to make sure they have the tools necessary to be able to take care of their patients. And all they have to worry about is providing excellent care to patients, surgeons, hospital administrators, and we handle all the headache for them. So our model is is that we work for them. They don't work for us. And the other thing we do is we always try and find win-win-win solutions. It always there's, there's three stakeholders in all of our contracts. So when we're negotiating with a hospital, we need to make sure the hospital is going to be a winner in that negotiation as well, right? It's not a zero-sum mm-hmm. game. Right. Um, they have to get something out of it. We as an organization have to have something out of it as well because we're not a charity. You know, we can't lose money right. on contracts. We wouldn't be in business long. Um, whatever our ethos is or whatever our vision and our, our mission is, it, it would go away, right? As the, the nuns in some of our Catholic hospitals used to tell me when I negotiate with them, Tracy, no money, no mission. Right? <laughs> so um, <laughs> so those are the first two wins. That's a good one. I like uh, that. Yeah. What are you going to say to the, the sweet nun who tells exactly. you <laughs> But the third win always has to be for the providers, and there has to be some form of work-life balance or compensation that's going to – providers, they, there's only a few things they want, right? They want to feel well-respected. Mm-hmm. They want to go to work in a, in a culture and an environment where they feel not just respected but appreciated, mm-hmm. and then they want to be fairly compensated for the services they provide. So if a hospital is beating us down on costs where we feel we can't pay on the upper end of market where we think we need to be – We'll walk away because it's not a win-win-win because if, if we accept those contracts, then we can't recruit the providers. We're underpaying. We're having to rely on locums, and that's a whole other topic of conversation as well. But it just becomes a, a difficult environment, and the first two wins end up starting eroding because we're not delivering on the services we promised up front. We're overpaying for services with locums, so we're not getting the win. The whole, All three wins have to be there in order to be successful, in my opinion. So what yeah. I'm hearing you say is – not every contract's a good fit. I mean, I know that there are a lot of companies and they'll just take anybody as a contract. And there are just some contracts that maybe you need to stay away from. Yeah, and, and that was that was probably my a next answer. Way. Yeah, that was my next answer to Jeremy's other question at the beginning <laughs> when, he, when he asked about failure. And that's, um, you know, when you're young and you're growing and you take hungry. Any water bill, yeah, you're hungry. Yep. Uh, you take on clients that sometimes... Um, you probably shouldn't have. And at the end, you, you realize... Uh, a $400,000 <laughs> yes. uh, lesson you learned there. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, believe me, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 20 plus years as well. And you do, and I tell our staff, I tell our folks that work there, you know, there are times that you've got to discern on the front end whether this is going to be a good relationship because we're in the relationship business. And even though there's money to be made there, if you can't do what you say you're going to do and you're not going to enjoy getting out of bed and talking to that person or working with that person in the long run, is it a good relationship? Right. It's not, it's not, it's not a win for anybody. Yes, so but it's not worth the hassle. In it the ain't long worth run, the hassle. Really. No, absolutely. There, there's other ways. It can't all be about money either. I think that's the other thing that, that Tracy's saying as, as well. So that is true. 
Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Well, and the other thing that you talked about was flexible models, which is a hot topic right now. And so what are you seeing in the marketplace? And are people willing to look at flexible models based on economics at this point? So we're we're seeing a lot of things in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're seeing cycles of things sure. that would normally take sometimes years to occur right. happening mm-hmm. within months yeah. sometimes. It's it's the strangest thing I've ever seen. Thank um, you COVID. I mean yes. good good thing. <laughs> Everything out of COVID. all cycles are being compressed and just before COVID, we were seeing a lot of CRNAs enter the 1099 locums world where they they make their own schedule, they work when they want, they work where they want. And then when COVID struck, all of a sudden, there were furloughs. People weren't working. Those individuals often, by and large, went back and took W-2 jobs. Mm-hmm. And then within three months, it seems like everything recovered, and they Cleared started up. abandoning those W-2 jobs right, again. Right, So cycles are being, like, really super compressed. But there, there's more and more providers out there who are interested. Um, I don't know if you call it entrepreneurial or just basically taking back control of their work schedule and their own work-life balance and the higher compensation a lot of times that 1099 mm-hmm. contracts and locums com- come with and, and can't begrudge them for no. it, right? Because um, ultimately you, you have to find a model and a job and a compensation that fits what you want in life. What someone tells you on the internet you should make doesn't really matter, no. right? Right. Uh, the culture, the pay, the work-life balance, the schedule, all those types of things. The flexibility, right? Working yep. for working for an organization will support you, those types of things. Uh, those things all matter besides just compensation. And I, I see a movement in our in our members a lot of times, or our, our profession, where everyone's looking at the dollar sign. It's the dollar mm-hmm. sign, the dollar sign, the dollar sign. And there's some jobs out there, I don't care how, how, much how many numbers yeah. are after that, that dollar sign. I'm not doing it, right? Well, and Tracy, you kind of jumped ahead to another thing I wanted to hit on, but since we're here, we might as well talk about it, and that's, you know, 1099 versus, uh, you know, W-2. And, you know, I find kind of like you do in the marketplace, you know, especially on our accounting side, that there's a handful of reasons why people do 1099. One is money. You know, obviously, you, you can make more money doing that. And work um, less. And, and possibly work less. But, some, <laughs> which, you know, I've got some that are some working goal, more, you know, goal. when, they, when yeah. they do that. Um, mm. And different reasons. You know, maybe they got debt. Maybe they want to retire. Maybe they're right behind the eight ball, whatever it is. The autonomy, you know, not, not having to go in and, you know, every single day, the same place and, and, and so forth, which is, you know, another good reason. You know, my wife, Sarah, you know, she's 1099. And, you know, the reason for us was, you know, we can travel and do the things we want to do. And she can be home with the kids in the summer. She took off all summer and just went back to work, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago. And so it was the flexibility and the scheduling for her to be able to have that. 
But I mean, really, in a nutshell, and then, you know, some just don't like the politics that they get involved in at certain places mm-hmm. and think that if they're 1099, they're going to, and, and this is true for a lot of them, they're really thankful that they're there because they're covering mm-hmm. for them. So so I think that's a, a big deal. And, and maybe we can talk a little bit about that because you hit on that a couple of times. And I'll tell you from experience, last year, you know, we saw a lot of our 1099s that were scared to death that could not withstand the fact that they weren't going to get paid for a while when they were calling off elective surgeries. And we saw a bunch of them, like you said earlier, run back to W-2 positions. Now, I haven't seen as many of those come back on the 1099 side because kind of like in 08, you know, I saw the same thing. In 08, people got scared to death, you know, they ran back. Well, COVID, like you said, kind of compressed the cycle. And now what we're seeing on the 1099 side is because they lost all those providers, there's this amazing opportunity on the 1099 side. I talked to Randy more about this and he agreed. And, you know, he said that the ANA and the insurance side had sold more policies in the last year than they had ever sold in any year. So I'm going to shut up because I can continue to talk about this, but I want your perspective on that. You know, the difference, the 1099 versus W2, the opportunities, pitfalls, and what your view is on it. So I mentioned at the beginning, I started as a 1099 uh, provider. I've always liked the uh, tax flexibility, the tax benefits, the idea of me kind of being my own business owner of myself. Absolutely. Uh, The vast majority of our clinical providers are 1099 as well in our organization. Okay. Uh, Oh, that's going to be my question. We don't tell them when to work. We don't tell them how to work. We don't give them the tools. They kind of schedule their shifts amongst themselves and... And, and work out their schedule that way. So they're, they're 1099s with us. We want them to take ownership, right? We want them to take pride in their work. That's a certain mentality that I think kind of comes with being 1099 sometimes. Yeah. As a W-2, you could be seen as a cog in the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. You're just another employee. People are, call- right. people are calling in sick and there's, mm-hmm. you feel like a, um, just, just another output for Whoever a warm body. For. Yeah, yeah, just another warm body. That's a, <laughs> a, thank you. That's a great way of saying it. Uh, so I like the 1099 model, but 1099 doesn't mean one thing, right? Right. You, you can have 1099 contracts that are for one day at a time, right? Yep. Where you just go That's in right. and fill in. Yeah. Or you can have year-long 1099 contracts or, or, or three-month-long. And I just like the flexibility of it. I like CRNAs to, to want to be professionals. They want to be business owners, um, Mm -hmm. have their own flexibility on on how they schedule themselves. It's just, uh, I think it leads to to happiness, right? And um, that's kind of a model that we've always had. Yeah. I I think that's good. Well, it's just like the old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. (laughs) If the CRNAs aren't happy. (laughs) But it's very true. I mean, and, and, but, you know, also know that by training, you know, most CRNAs are not as business minded Mm -hmm. as Tracy is and, and, and I am. And, you know, it's a big transition. They're scared to death usually if they've been W-2, they didn't come out of school like you did and go right into 1099. You're not talking about anybody you know. Nobody I know. Yeah. You know, that have been practicing for a while and all of a sudden they go, this is not the model I want to see myself in for whatever reason. And I'm behind the eight ball for, like I said before, I want the flexibility, you know, whatever it is. Do you run into that when you're, when you're talking to people and do you offer them, you know, Hey, you can be W2 or 1099 or is it, you know, kind of here's a 1099 position. 
Yeah. So when I first started as 1099 as well, I, I was scared. I was yeah. like, so what, you know, I was always a W-2. I was a registered nurse, just like everyone who enters our field. Yep. We're comfortable with it, right? Right. And it's easy. You could, mm-hmm. you could, yeah. file, you could file your own taxes Absolutely. as a W-2. You and, should. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you know where you stand um, financially and there's not all this, this complex regulation that you, you have to uh, go through. But yeah, I was nervous as well too. And, and, and when we're recruiting providers, we, we usually don't offer W two or ten ninety nine as a as an option. It's usually just ten ninety nine. Okay. Unless they're at a facility where everyone is W two. Gotcha. Uh, we try not to blend the two at facilities, but the vast majority of ten ninety nines, the vast majority have LLCs that they own or PLLCs that they own. Yep. And it is a bit of a recruiting hurdle for us to to have to overcome for providers who've never been 1099. They've always been W-2. So we offer them, you know, resources. The other CRNAs that they're working with, they've been 1099 for a while, so they can help them. A lot of times at at facilities, they almost all have the same CPAs, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Same insurance broker, those types of things. But we assist them and help them and, and make them feel a little more comfortable. And as a 1099, you're more mobile, too. If you're picking up shifts 1099 and the culture is not what you want it to be, you're, you're pretty mobile, right? You yeah. can say, thanks, uh, but yeah. no thanks. I'm out. Right. right. As a W-2, you almost start to feel trapped sometimes. Mm-hmm. The benefits are there. They're tied to you. It's a little harder to change jobs sometimes as a W-2. Yeah. That's true. So what advice do you give to people about health care insurance? I know the AANA looked at being able to offer yeah. great plans, but I don't think that went well, you know, I mean, that's, that's the big complicated issue for a lot of people we see that are looking at 1099 opportunities, especially if they're the breadwinner for their family or they're carrying the benefits. You know, it makes it very difficult because of that reasoning. You know, now with the Affordable Care Act, There's opportunities out there that, you know, you you can get insurance. It might not be cheap, but you can Mm -hmm. get it, and you've got to work that into your equation. And insurance is such a crazy thing because it's state-by-state rules, kind of, I guess, kind of like nursing, Mm -hmm. you know, and and certain states offer other plans. Like here in North Carolina, Sharon, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield has like 85 87% of the state. There's not a lot of choice here. You know, whether you go to them direct or you go to the exchange, just is what it is. And, you know, I wish that the ANA would have been able to put that plan together. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was really tough because each state all had different, you know, different variations, different yeah. laws, and they couldn't do that. And um, Well, you wonder why in one regard, because malpractice is just like that. Because when you call to get your malpractice, they say, what state are you in? Yeah. Yeah. So there's laws about that. Yeah, absolutely. Too. But, you know, there are things out there. You know, you know, me and my family, you know, we did a health sharing arrangement for a little while when Sarah left the hospital. We were on COBRA, and then we did a, you know, health sharing arrangement. And, you know, now we kind of moved to, uh, you know, an HSA-type model. And, I mean, there's opportunities and things out mm-hmm. there for that. But it takes a little work to get there, and you've got to get comfortable that you're not probably going to have the, the wonderful plan you had at the hospital that mm-hmm. – um, you know, it was sure. a whole lot cheaper. But that's, the, when you're going 1099, I mean, that's part, that's part of, of the risk. And you're making more money to compensate for that as well on the risk side. Yeah, we're seeing more and more employers also not cover all of the sure benefits, that. too. Because the benefits are getting expensive for everyone, Absolutely. right? Employers as well. So the employees are having to cover more and more of the expenses. But you mentioned health savings accounts. That's pretty powerful tools. Absolutely. Um, you get basically it's a catastrophic health care plan, right? And you get to save yeah. the save the deductible tax free, invest it tax free, and potentially pull it out tax free. Correct. Um, it's one of the only triple untaxed. Yeah. 
No, and, and, you know, I mean, the HSA obviously gives gives the flexibility there, and you can even use it for retirement if you don't use it for health care. So just, a, you know, a good opportunity. But, you know, we can talk about 1099, I'm sure, all night. I guess the, the other thing that I see as, um, you know, an opportunity here while you're here is making sure that CRNAs truly understand their value as a CRNA and maybe hitting on a little bit of billing because what I see in, in our practice, CRNAs don't understand that. They don't understand their value and, and not, you know, broad brushed, but generalized. I mean, that's not something that, you know, we find that they know a lot about. And that's something I think Tracy knows a whole lot about. So. <laughs> Um, Clearly, he knew his value from the day he stepped out of school. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, we've now billed for over a million anesthetics. So wow, wow, you really? That's awesome. And uh, so, revenue cycle management is an important part of what we do. And what that means is it's it's billing, it's charge capture, it's coding, it's data entry, and then it's all the follow ups and, mm-hmm. and all the reporting to making sure that everything is done well. So. Well, I don't think we're perfect at it because I don't think anyone is because it's such a complex landscape for the billing of anesthesia services. I do feel that I have a pretty good grasp of it. And, mm-hmm. and what I see on the Know Your Worth uh, issue is that CRNAs will see an N of one. They'll get a bill potentially from an anesthesia because maybe their wife or themselves have had anesthesia or they'll see an EOB from their aunt. Mm-hmm. And the bill charges will be something like $1,500 or $2,000. And they'll run with that and with the mindset that they think that's how much they got reimbursed for the care that was provided. And what we know is we get reimbursed sometimes 10, 15, 20% of bill mm-hmm. charges. And we fight denials, right? We have a whole lot of payers that have a rubber stamp to, to kind of deny things. And the amount that most CRNAs are actually reimbursed for the care and the services they provide are typically a lot less than what they think. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I give examples a lot of times on social media when people talk. Medicare pays $21 a unit. The average case is under 10 units a case right now in America. And they only pay 80% of that $21 a unit. The other 20%, you got to collect from grandma. You got to collect from grandma's wow. co-insurance plan, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so $160-some dollars is it? That's I mean, it. That wow. is it. And you can't balance bill, right? You can't right. bill for any right. differential there. And so if you're going to do four cases in a day, you're not going to generate a lot of revenue if you're doing a lot of you're Medicare not pay your provider. or Medicaid. <laughs> Uh, and that's why over 90% of hospitals right now in America subsidize anesthesia departments. Right. Right. So there's a lot of talk about CRNAs wanting to be able to get 100% of their revenue. Well, no one can get 100% of their revenue because someone has to be paid to bill it, I mean, right. unless they're going to bill it themselves. Even right. if they bill it themselves, they have to pay a, a software company. They have to pay licensing fees. They have to buy computers. They have to go through clearing houses. Yep. They have to pay all the bank transaction fees for every ETF that's hit. Yep. So you're never going to get 100% of your revenue anyway. But I think a lot would be surprised if you're not in a very efficient environment with a high commercial payer mix. And if you can't negotiate high commercial rates because you don't have leverage on the commercial payers. Mm-hmm. And with the new surprise billing legislations, the, those things are going down as well. I think most CRNAs would be surprised to realize that they're maybe getting paid for many of the days that they work more than the revenue they've actually generated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's so many variables, right? Right. You can't just, it's not one size fits all. Uh, everything has to be looked at based on payer mix, based on case mix, how many units you're generating. And I'll do an exercise tomorrow where I break the room in half and um, 
we'll, we'll have them gen see how much money one half of the room generated by doing 12 uh, endoscopy cases and the other half will do um, I think four lap coles and we'll see how much money they generated per day based on mm -hmm. a, a payer mix that I, I give them and they pull out their calculators and figure it out and I think you know, it's not going to change their practice on Monday, right? A lot of these lectures at these meetings, they're, they're learning new techniques. They're learning about new drugs. They're learning new research. And right. it's going to make an impact on their practice. And the stuff I talk about probably doesn't. But I guarantee on Monday they're looking at face sheets to see if the patient has Medicare or insurance just yeah. to get an idea of, right. what's, of what's happening, um, how much money they're generating after, uh, after going through that exercise. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So yeah. what you said you have billed a million anesthetics. And I, this might be outside of the purview that you have, but do you do data on any of your outcomes? We, we've done a podcast this morning about mm -hmm. the studies that are out there looking at providers, et cetera. The problem that we have is getting good data because everything comes from billing mm -hmm. and it's hard to sort out what the model that was truly used. And this has been an ongoing problem, but I would suspect as smart as you are you track something about we do that. we do so we track adverse events mm -hmm. um, we follow the macro and the MIPS reporting uh, we use software cloud-based software it's an app on all of our providers phone they they document every case if there's an adverse event or not and then all the macro and MIPS uh, quality improvement type initiatives uh, for every case and yeah so we, we do have a, a fair amount of data on outcomes and, and adverse events as well yeah maybe we can uh, tell a rain Jordan and get some of your data and give it to the foundation, you know. And, and always thinking. <laughs> always thinking. So, all right. I guess, and in, in this one, again, is going to be kind of a loaded question, I know. But as we're talking about the money side of this, you know, just the cost effectiveness of CRNAs versus AAs and MDs and just MDs and CRNAs. You know, I think we all know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear your take on I mean, you, you have MDs, and we're by no means saying that, you know, physician anesthesiologists Listen, don't have I a place. I just want to tell you that being pro-CRNA does not mean you have to be anti-MDA. Right. There's no, a big it difference. There, but, it, but it, you know, and I don't think it is, as we talked about before, on a local level. It's more of a high political level and association level that there's some the animosity there. But, yeah, I mean, Tracy, I'd love your take on that. Just, you know, just the cost effectiveness, what works the best, what's the best model? Absolutely. And, and when you're looking at cost, you also have to look at revenue as well, too. Right. Absolutely. And not to take your question in a different direction, but I think the first thing on revenue is, are CRNAs getting reimbursed with parity? In other words, are, are payers paying CRNA services the same that they're right. paying for physician anesthesiologist services? And the answer is yes for government payers but not always for commercial payers. Mm -hmm. And that's a big problem, right? That is a huge problem. So if you're going to advocate for a more efficient uh, or more cost-effective model mm -hmm. but that's utilizing CRNAs, but if you're not generating the same amount of revenue, then what are you giving up there? Right. So uh, payer parity is uh, something that's very, very important right now and something that I know the ANA is interested in and working on. I'm on a subcommittee with them on that. 
But getting back to cost, everyone knows AAs have to work with physician anesthesiologists. And in order for them to be able to bill AAs, AAs cannot bill QZ, which is a CRNA modifier. Right. So they can only bill medical supervision or medical direction. And that means that um, there has to be a certain amount of anesthesiologists per AA if you're going to mm-hmm. bill medical direction, uh, which kind of starts jacking up the cost of the services. Right? Correct. And whenever... Um, where you have a CRNA, you could potentially be billing QZ, mm-hmm. and you could maybe have one anesthesiologist with 10 CRNAs, right? Right. right. Uh, without billing medical supervision. When you bill medical supervision, you leave units on the table for mm-hmm. almost every case. Any case that's over six or seven units, which is most of them, you're starting to leave money on the table for medical supervision, which is what you would have to bill for one anesthesiologist and 10 AAs, right? Gotcha. So there's there's value there in the services we provide. There's value in the in the fact that we can bill QZ. In most markets where AAs work alongside CRNAs, they get paid similar. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing that's happening is they're tied to usually a medical direction model, which is potentially fraught with TEFRA violations and other types of issues as well, and increased cost. So I think we're uniquely positioned in the marketplace to gain more market share as anesthesia providers, as CRNAs, if we just had enough of us to be able to go <laughs> right. out and, and fill the spots that are yeah. needed. And and the hindrance with that is that in the shortage, with salaries going up, the gap between physician anesthesiologists and CRNAs are shrinking. Snaring. Yeah. And listen, our, our value proposition, we, we know that CRNAs provide excellent care, but the value proposition we we give to institutions is the fact that we can do it more efficiently often, right. uh, oftentimes. And when that gap starts to narrow too much, most hospital administrators will always lean towards the the last two initials, that MD mm-hmm. for physician yep. services. Yep. And uh, it's a fine line. And, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see how the future goes for our profession. I, I don't have a crystal ball. And Gosh, uh, I was going to ask you. you know. Yeah. What the future look like? I see you, you leading me right down this path. Yeah, because I've been rambling for about five minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah. you know, talking about parity of pay with providers, I used to say we want you to pay for the degree of care, not the degree of the provider. One hundred percent. Yeah. Well said. Because you know what, if you're if you're laying on that table and you're getting an anesthetic and a surgery. It doesn't matter who wakes no. you up as long as they wake you up. That's that's exactly you know? right. I mean, and that's why, you know, it's important that we tell people, I'm a nurse anesthetist, or nurse, nurse anesthesiologist. anesthesiologist. <laughs> but, you know, you need to tell everybody who you are outside of the operating room. Mm-hmm. Not Inside the operating room, you're talking to people who are already scared. They yeah. don't have their underwear on. They're naked. They're cold. And Never they've already they've already made that commitment. Yeah. They're there. Yeah. They just want somebody to take care of them. They really, That's true. I would say 99.9% of those people do not care. It's just like when you crawled on that airplane to come to Asheville today, you didn't knock on the cockpit door and say, how many times have you flown this plane? You made that commitment when you put your foot on that airplane and you believed that the person who was flying it was going to get you here safely. Absolutely. Put a lot of faith in someone else. Absolutely. But the time to talk about the value of CRNAs is everywhere else. (laughs) That's Uh, a good point. For example, on the plane. Absolutely. I had that talk twice today already. Absolutely. (laughs) That's the the best thing about this bling bling pen that everybody kind of nudges me about (laughs) anyway because it is a great conversation starter 
Well, I want to I want to get back to something Tracy says. I think it's very very important for our listeners to hear. And you know what you said. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Was as CRNA salaries get closer to MD salaries. Oh yes. It changes the future for CRNAs. Mm-hmm. And and and, and I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing it, but because if we continue to see salaries go up then in that scenario, well, if someone's got an MD and you're still technically a nurse, even if you've got a doctorate, the MDs win in that scenario and, and that model wins. And, I, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, Medicare and, you know, I don't know whether you just saw, but 2026 Medicare is going to be broke. They, they announced this morning that they're putting together a coalition to uh, lower drug prices. And, you know, I mean, they're going to have to do something. We know that. And as they start to press more and more, and as we move more towards some sort of middle ground of socialized medicine that seems to be happening, whether it's the ACA or whether it's something else we don't know about. Buying at 55. Well, you're going to see, I mean, they're going to have to start compressing things. And, you know, I think first, as you look at this model and you say, all right, well, I can, this model, you know, makes a, a million, two million dollars less, three million dollars less if we've got MDs involved than it does CRNAs. Okay, that's significant money. If you look at this model and you say, we hire the CRNAs, we save $200,000. Uh, well, but the we can The juice have, may not be worth the squeeze there you at go. that yeah. point. And I think and CRNAs need to hear that. Well, you know, I've always said people would get upset because AAs make mm-hmm. the same amount of money. And I said, that's they, a good thing. Good thing. Yeah. Because if you've got a facility that has to choose, they're mm-hmm. going to choose the least expensive model. And yeah. so if it's AAs, then, but right now we're the same cost. So they'll choose a CRNA. Right. Well, we could get into the same. Yeah the same boat Mm -hmm. if you've got that compression and they'll selectively probably choose the md so so this is not hypothetical right we're not talking about ivory tower but what potentially can happen exactly we're dealing with this on i mentioned rfps earlier we have Mm -hmm. roughly 16 of them out we don't typically always just give one option to clients that are seeking proposals we give them multiple options for staffing Mm -hmm. they come with multiple price points right Mm -hmm. and we open up those those conversation lines with them talk about the pros and the cons we talk about a crna centric model and we talk about things where they can get more bang for their buck, potentially. Great providers, efficient service. And when those models start to look very similar from a cost standpoint, they're not really interested in hearing about CRNA-centric models at that point. They want to make sure that they're going to have butts in the chair Mm -hmm. and quality of care. Those Mm -hmm. are the two things that hospital administrators want, uh, and typically to pay the least for it as possible. Mm -hmm. My fear is that So CRNAs have been gaining market share, right? Mm -hmm. As we gain market share and as we gain more CRNA-centric models in hospitals that have been usually more physician-focused models, what are we gaining? We're gaining influence. Mm -hmm. As we're gaining influence, there's stakeholders there. We become more visible. We Mm -hmm. become more respected. We become more of a known commodity. In a physician-centric model, a lot of times, we're kept in the back. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't spend much time talking to patients. We don't spend much time talking to administrators. Surgeons, you know, they're like, oh, call the anesthesiologist if something goes wrong in those types of models. And CRNA-centric models, you're it. 
right? Yeah. You may have you may have a physician anesthesiologist there to help as well, but the focus is much more on CRNAs. So we gain influence. We become mm-hmm. we become more well known, and that's how we advance as a profession. Um, my fear is that we lose that competitive advantage as we start to compress the salaries, the, the salary variation between physician anesthesiologists and CRNAs. And I'll kind of wrap up with the thought that the thing that really scares me the most about our profession though is when we lose that competitive advantage we may open the door for another third provider, whether mm-hmm. it be increased AAs mm-hmm. or whether it be physician assistants that go get mm-hmm. anesthesia training. They can start working in these endoscopy centers. They can start working sedating in these pain clinics. Right. We spread our base of services, right? We're providing services in more places than we ever have before. And another class of anesthesia provider is something I think that, that could really potentially hurt our profession long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's a good point. We've um, been we've been talking about this behind the scenes for a long yeah. time, especially PAs, because they've got a medical background, whereas mm-hmm. AAs do not. And there are some PAs that do it now, right? Uh, there I mean, are, yeah, there are. Um, but so. but that that is a really strong. And, and fear. They, they already have regulatory authority. and statutory authority mm-hmm. in every state, right? Right. So well, that's true. They just don't have their own license. They have to have a physician behind them. Okay. Yeah. So that's which, a little which bit is different. What, which is, I mean, plays right to the hand of physician anesthesiologists mm-hmm. to promote that type of services. Mm-hmm. That's why well, they does. promote AA services, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, they're changing their name as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, who knows what's on the horizon for well, them. So Lots of things going on. So, well, Tracy, man, this has been great. Thank you. I know you've had a, a long day. you got to speak tomorrow at the meeting, and but uh, you're always a wealth of knowledge. Really appreciate it. I know you do a lot for the industry and promoting it, and good luck on your business. I know you've done a great job. I know you'll, you'll do more, even, even more moving forward. But, you know, at some point, maybe we can talk about scale and multiples and all that fun stuff as well, because uh, we won't get into it today. Uh, a, little, a little more depth. But, Darn, uh, that, you just got me excited. That's <laughs> oh, my God, and I need coffee for that one. Really quick, Sharon always likes to do this lightning round. So we'll, we'll go ahead and appease her and do that really quick. But she's, We'll ask you a few questions so they can get to know you a little bit more personally, and then we'll wrap it up. All right. So if you could have another profession what would it be architect really yeah. well i don't know numbers hmm. analytical analytical yeah yeah, I see that. yeah. That is there another reason is there another reason or are you just like architecture you like to build or yeah I, look have nothing and then you got something or? maybe it's not architecture maybe it's uh, system design or engineering oh uh, yeah. just something like just that. walking through the airports today i'm like okay the flow could be much better here right <laughs> you yeah. know those types of things <laughs> that's funny, uh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> i mean i'm kind of you know yes, i, I, I multiply numbers all the time license plates numbers everywhere i go i'm multiplying multiplying i have to multiply it till it comes out to zero i mean it's like constant when I see numbers I have to do it so it's it's, I I can relate I totally can relate (laughs) so Tracy who's your hero Um, I'd probably say my father I mean you know he he worked hard uh, non-college educated right went to the oil field at 18 uh, worked his way all the way up uh, traveled overseas to get extra training and stuff in the 1970s took my family to Norway oh cool oh, wow. that's know, a good story so mom was pregnant from me when they moved back to the states oh. but but my <laughs> okay. older brothers actually you know spent five years in Norway and um, but I mean you know everything he did it's super smart guy hard working just you know just everything you'd want to be in a uh, in a dad yeah oh. that's awesome oh, I like that's that great. when you feel fear what do you do first and I'm sure you felt fear with all the uh, all the times you keep jumping off the cliff here. Absolutely, um, kind of the same thing when I feel anger. 
take a deep breath, relax, don't act on it immediately. Mm. When I have fear, I tend to slow down instead mm-hmm. of speed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and in any crisis and emergency situation, I tend to always slow down. And I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's a, a good thing or not, but I've noticed it, whether it be a code in the clinical mm-hmm. setting, whether it be, you know, running to intubate someone, getting through that process, or whether it be in the business world, right? If there's, it just tend to slow down and things just really slow down when I, and I have that, that mm-hmm. fear element. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What do people often get wrong about you? I think a lot of people think I'm extroverted, and I, I'm really uh-huh. not. Um, my Jeremy, you and I spoke briefly for, before we put the headsets on, and um, that social tank for me drains pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like being – I travel a lot, right? I'm here in Asheville on my birthday. Right? Yes. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, you know, I'm probably going to spend most of the day in my hotel room and kind of decompressing from, from this conversation, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, have dinner tonight with a couple of friends who are here, then same thing, just go back and kind of decompress. And I'm not, I'm not very extroverted. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Guess you can't but be you put yourself out president there. then because everybody's <laughs> after you all the time. Uh, well, Tracy, thank you again, man. This has been great and uh, appreciate your time. I know uh, on your birthday at that and uh, I know you're, you're a little tired, but we really do appreciate it. And thank you for being here. Uh, enjoyed it. Really, yeah. really good chat. Thank, thanks both of you. Good. Good. All right, Sharon, let's wrap it. I guess it's time. All right. So we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help it grow, Sharon, how can they do that? Like us. Yeah. Share us. Tell all your friends. But most of all, leave us a review because the algorithm with the reviews pushes you higher in the standings. That's right. And so. we just learned this. You know, I was telling Sharon earlier, I'm going to talk to Mike McKinnon because he has like all these freaking reviews out there. For I'm 10 like, podcasts. Yeah, I'm like, how does he get all these reviews? What did you do, man? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's exactly right. So till next time. It's a wrap. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-304. 
855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.